Good, good evening. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's. My privilege to be speaking this evening. As Maddie said, um, it's the second one um, in in our vision series. There were th- there's three Sundays. Um, we did one last week. Um, we're doing this Sunday, and then it will um, finish off next Sunday. I had the privilege of welcoming some people into church membership this morning. Um, Paul and Sarah McSweeney, Alexandra Rax and Joyce um, Lewis. And uh, you may know them, you may not, but it's just good to let you guys know some of the people we had the privilege of welcoming in um, this morning. And I think next week we're going to welcome someone into the evening congregation. So come with your cheering voice um, ready to thoroughly welcome them in. Last week, um, Emma just shared a bit of what's been going on over the last year at King's Hastings, and that's now up on the website. So if you missed that, um, why don't you download it, have a watch, have a listen, and just hear some of the amazing things that have been going on in, in, in church life over the last 12 months. I want to give just a brief recap on last Sunday before I dive into the new material. Um, You'll know if you were here last Sunday, I didn't do very well at getting through the material. Out of my three points, I only covered the first one. And if I'm totally honest and confessing all of my wrongdoings, I didn't do much better this morning because all I did was the second point this morning. I didn't even get on to the third point. So what should have taken one Sunday has so far taken two Sundays. And if I'm totally honest, I think I might just give up and move on to the next thing next week anyway. So who knows what's going to go on tonight, but we'll see how it goes. Would you like me to be courageous this evening? Just, I'll ask you the question again. You can just confirm if, if that is the case. Would you like me to be courageous this evening? Excellent. Because for me to be courageous this evening means that you need to be courageous this evening. So you have just agreed to partner with me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a little bit of time in a minute describing what a disciple looks like. And as elders, we've identified five areas that we would like us as individuals to grow in, but also you as the church to grow in. And at the end of each point, I'm going to ask you to make a response, which means you're going to need to stand up. And I'm going to pray for God's blessing on you. So I'm so pleased that you agree to partner with me in being courageous. I just want to check something, though. Firstly, could you just put your hands down by the side of your bottom? Can you wiggle your bottom around a little bit? Like that? I can't see much wiggling going on at the back there. Rob, I'd like to see a wiggle. Yeah, oh, good. That's it, Rob. I saw a bit of a wiggle. That's good. Now, can you just sort of push down and see if you can lift your bottom slightly off your chair? Yes, some of you are struggling more than others. Okay, that's, that's cool, because that just confirms to me you are not stuck to your chair. Therefore, there is no reason, if God prompts you, why you can't get up out of your chair and respond. So we've done a little bit of a warm-up, so that's good. As elders, we see one of our main responsibilities is to make sure that as a church, we are healthy. We are healthy as the Bible describes church should be. And you find it as you look through the epistles, the the letters that have been written. As you read the book of Acts, you see loads of amazing descriptions of what healthy church looks like. And we have brought that down to three particular areas, three things that a healthy church does. It makes disciples, it goes on mission, and it cares for the poor. And the master plan had been that I'd have taken one Sunday to, to unpack each of those As you know, I only did the first point of making disciples, and my plan for this evening is to do the second point of making disciples by describing what it is that we look like. 
as we mature, as we follow Jesus Christ, as we have these outstanding times of worship that we've just had and we connect with God, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And the expectation that I certainly have is as I have those times and as I push on with God, I'm going to look more and more like Jesus. I'm going to look more and more like the early church. And I imagine that's the expectation that you have as well, that you're going to look more and more like him. So I want to identify um, five characteristics that as elders that we have identified that we would like you to grow in. So the first one is this. Disciples are courageous. It's seen from the beginning of the book of Acts, we spent most of last term looking at it, we saw that the early church was courageous. It wasn't courageous just when everything was really nice and really easy. In actual fact, to be honest, you really only see what courage is like is when you're really up against it. It's when you're in persecution or difficult times that you suddenly get to see what courage is like as you step out and take those faith risks. I don't want to spend long on it because, like I say, we spent the whole of last term on it, but I just want to remind you of a few key points. It says in 1 John 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You see, love and courage go hand in hand. When I know that I am loved by my Father and that he will never let me go and that his heart beats for me, it gives me a freedom and a confidence to step out and take risks because I know he will not reject me. He will not turn me away if I get things wrong. I know he will cover the bases for me even if I mess things up. It means I can take a few risks for him. I went to Crowhurst um, Recreation Grounds, um, or, or Play Park, or whatever it is. Recreation Grounds. Sounds very posh, doesn't it? Crowhurst Recreation Ground. And I went with the three boys. And the two older boys were jumping between platforms on this sort of climbing frame thing. And Freddie, my youngest son, he really wanted to do it. But, but he just didn't have the confidence. So he called me over to stand in the middle, so that when he jumped, if he didn't quite make it, I would catch him. He had confidence when dad was around. He had courage because dad was near. You, you, you get that. I mean, the reality is I couldn't have caught him anyway. But well, I didn't tell him that. I just let him jump. And he did it anyway, and he was absolutely fine. But, but the reality, it's true for us as well. When we know dad is close, it gives us courage to step out. It gives us courage to take risks. It gives us courage to do things we wouldn't have otherwise done because we know we're loved and we're secure. Love and courage go hand in hand. When I know I'm loved, it gives me a freedom and a liberty to go for it. But when I think it's on the basis of my performance, can I measure up to some certain task as though God loves me if I can? That's not the case. That's not how my father operates. Love comes from a positional thing, not an achievement thing. It's a positional thing. I'm a son, therefore I'm loved. Freddie is loved by me whether he clears the platform or not. Because he's my son. He hasn't earned it. In some ways, you know what I mean? He doesn't deserve it in that way. He hasn't earned his way in. It's a free gift. Do you know what though? Courage also comes as a byproduct of being filled by the Holy Spirit. Again, in the book of Acts, often when the church faced persecution, they prayed for boldness, the Holy Spirit comes. Even the rooms they were in were shaken. They were filled with boldness and they speak the word of God with courage. A people who step out in courage in spite of fear 
because we're securing God's love for us, because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Courage is a key characteristic if we're going to do exploits for God. And our communities that surround us need a church that's courageous. We will not go very far if we are too afraid to go outside these four walls and take a few risks. We won't go very far. But we have a love that's so invaded our hearts that it cannot stay inside of us. And it cannot stay inside these four walls. It must go out. Nelson Mandela said, I learned that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. Are you fed up of being controlled by the fear of failure? Are you fed up of being controlled by what people think about you? rather than worrying about what your father thinks about you? Are you too afraid to express yourself with freedom? If you are, I want you to stand where you are. Even in the act of standing, you are being incredibly courageous. Lord, I want to thank you for every person that has stood here and their immense courage in standing up this evening. I pray right now, would you fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill them afresh with your power? I ask you, Lord God, that they will be men and women who do mighty exploits for you. I pray even now that they would know afresh your great, tender, father-hearted love for them. I pray, Lord, they will be so secure in you that they take risks, knowing that you'll never turn them away, knowing that you love them as they are, not as they should be. That's what a father does. A father loves and affirms in the middle of failure. I ask you right now for just an invasion of your love. I pray for fresh courage. And I ask you, Lord, for this week, for opportunities to step out in fresh ways, take risks for you, and show you a good, loving Father who never lets us go. Amen. When we take our seats. Well done, guys. You were the first up. Really good. Disciples are not only courageous, disciples are joyful. Woohoo! Just, just to shame you here, I'm sure shame isn't something a disciple should be known for. You were worse than the morning meeting, guys. I mean, the morning meeting absolutely (laughs) rocked-ish. Disciples are joyful. You wouldn't believe it sometimes, but they are. Disciples enjoy God. They enjoy this wonderful salvation. They enjoy His church. Joy is a hallmark of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. They've learned and are learning to rejoice in all circumstances. This isn't about putting on a false smile or pretending everything's fine when it isn't. It's about accessing the things that God has given us. The bedrock of this joy is joy in our salvation. When we, when we get to wonder and marvel at everything that Jesus Christ has done for us, how else, what other response can there be but joy? What other response can there be when we know that we have a Father in heaven who does not treat us as, our, as we deserve, but has lavished his grace and kindness upon us? How, how can that not but make us a bit happy? When we know that his blood 
has so dealt with my sin, it has gone further. I'm over in the west, my sin is over on the east, it will never be remembered anymore. Even though I did it, I meant to do it. The fact that I'm now sinlessly perfect, and in the next week I'm still going to mess things up, but I know my Father will forgive me and He cares for me. Is, this is... This gospel pretty good news. I, I think, I mean, actually, on the Trade Descriptions Act, when it comes to the gospel being good news, I think you could sue them saying, it's not just good news, it's wonderful, it's incredible, it's amazing news. And we get to access it, not because we've earned it, not because we've worked really, really hard. You know, like, if you walk a thousand miles on your knees, you might just deserve to get a little snippet of this gospel. It comes free. You might not know Jesus at all today. You can receive the free gift of salvation today because you've put your trust in Jesus as your saviour and you've repented of your sin. It is a free gift that we access and every day it works. There isn't a single person in the world the gospel will not work for. You cannot be too far away from him. You certainly can't be too good for him. It is a free gift Our salvation is the bedrock of joy as a Christian. We need to learn how to rejoice in it. Do you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit and joy are also closely linked. Galatians 5.22, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, it talks about joy in the Holy Spirit. We do need to be filled more with the Holy Spirit. They're linked. Do you know joy is, not su- is, joy is supernatural? It's not merely linked to circumstance. Did you know that? It says in um, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 and 2. I want you, this is like, a, this, any of you like science, this is a bit like a formula, okay? We're putting a number of things in, you're going to get a number of things out. The only problem is it doesn't compute, it doesn't make any sense to a logical mind. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, commending a church in Macedonia, says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. There is a grace of God evident in the churches of Macedonia, which, if I'm totally honest, is not in you, church at Corinth. So I'm going to use them as an example to provoke you. For in severe test of affliction, good or bad? Okay, some of you are uncertain on that. I won't ask for it, but if you have a severe test of affliction this week, I'm sure by next week you'll know it's a bad thing. Okay, Severe test of affliction is bad. Abundance of joy. Uh, We're we're getting there now. Extreme poverty. Wealth of generosity. Okay. What happened at the church in Macedonia is they were in... A severe test of affliction, which is bad, much worse probably than anything anyone here is going through. It would have been really, really tough. Not only that, they've also got extreme poverty shoved on top for good measure. So you've got two bad things going on. Do you know what comes out, though? Because joy is supernatural and not just a result of what circumstances get chucked into our lives. What comes out? is an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity. Does it make sense? It doesn't to me. I find that really provoking. You think that if you put in severe test of affliction and extreme poverty, what will come out is depression, moaning, grumbling, desperation, 
but what comes out in the church in Macedonia. And I think that's why Paul mentions them, is because it's an exceptional thing. What comes out is an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity. Can you see they don't compute? But, but the Christian gospel and the message isn't, isn't something... I don't even know what the phrase is I want to find. The Christian gospel is supernatural, so you can put in two bad things. But because of the effect of the gospel on our lives, what comes out is something you would never expect. If, if you don't know Christ, often what happens is you put severe affliction and extreme poverty in, and what comes out will not be good. But we're Christians. We've been united with Christ. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. I want you to aim for something higher. I want you to aim for something higher. And I know as I look around this auditorium, there are people and you've got different situations and circumstances you're battling in at the moment. I pray for fresh grace for you. Although joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, rejoicing is an act of the will. Although joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, rejoicing is an act of the will. And I reckon that the best, the most joyful people are probably those who are best at rejoicing. I walk around sometimes like I'm chewing on about half a dozen lemons. So do some of you. And you might be saying here today, I cannot change it. I want to ask you to start rejoicing. I watched, um, I was watching the end of the Japan-South Africa game. Ah, glory. Any South Africans here? No, uh, you all ran away. They didn't come back after the morning meeting. Japan, if you don't know, scored a last second try. Japan are like rubbish at rugby. South Africa are brilliant. Japan won. I think it was either their first World Cup match ever. Me and Charlie were watching it in response to what we saw. We leapt off the sofa. Yes! It was, it was out. It was, what was inside came out. You cannot rejoice internally. Andrew, you can tell me this later, not now, because it'll ruin a preaching point. I don't think you can rejoice in your heart. Not just, oh, it's all right, I'm just rejoicing in my heart, I'm an introvert. I'm happy. Rejoicing gets seen, you, you see it in the Psalms. You lift your hands, you shout out, you celebrate, you sing, even it gets down to your toes. There is a rejoicing. You, if you, I remember Katia Adams saying this back at the start of the year. She had some really bad circumstances. She wrote them all down on a piece of paper. All the bad stuff happening. You might think this is a bit odd, but she put it then on the floor. And she turned on some worship music and she rejoiced in God until she was filled with God's presence and joy inexpressible and filled with glory. It's an active thing. Oh, how the world needs a church that is joyful. How, how, not, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm already standing up. I've been standing up for the whole of this point. I didn't even want to wait until the end. I know, 
I need more joy in God. I need, to, I need to learn how to rejoice. In our culture, we don't. And half the time, we're just too afraid that if I'm really exuberant, I wonder what the person next to me will think. So I go all closed up and inside because someone might think I'm a bit enthusiastic. Not everyone in this place struggles with that, but most of us do, Rose. <laughs> If you want to respond to this, why don't you stand up if you know you need to step into joy. Father, we want to confess and say, Lord, we are sorry. Lord, when we are shaped more by negative circumstances than we are by your incredible goodness to us. Lord, please will you forgive us. I ask, us right, ask right now, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? I pray, Lord, for those of us that are facing really difficult circumstances, would you give us just a spark of faith right now to help us through? Lord, that's my prayer for you. A spark of faith to say, no, I will yet praise him. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I ask right now for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. I want to pray that we are the most joyful community of people in Hastings, along with the other churches. The most joyful community. Why? Because it's just natural logic based on your goodness to us. Give us supernatural joy, we pray. Help us to step into it. I pray even this week we would take steps forward in rejoicing like we never have before. You turn the music up. You forget about the neighbours and you go for it. Amen. Take our seats. By the way, just to encourage you, um, some of you know some Samuel and Barbara Roloff. Well, Barbara came up to me after the preach this morning and she said um, that neighbours two doors down knew that Samuel had been in hospital recently because they hadn't heard him shouting hallelujah for a while. Okay? Samuel should probably be doing this point and not me. He is an awesome rejoicer. And actually, when you see him and you see the beaming smile he has on his face, he is incredible. You can't help but respond joyfully when you see it. Do you know what I mean? It's infectious. No more lemons. Chewing lemons. Okay, let's move on. Right, so disciples are joyful Disciples are courageous. I'm going to move through these a bit quicker. Disciples are authentic. There are two aspects to this. Firstly, as individuals, we are a people who shine with integrity and purity. What happens on my Sunday evening is the same as what happens on my Wednesday evening. My inside private world and my, out, I, my outside public world, there is a matching up. I'm not trying to live my life to please people, but rather I am living my life to please my Father in heaven. I have an audience of one. All things that are really easy to say from the front, wouldn't you agree, very difficult, different to put into practice. But as a church, we need authenticity because, because, because as people, we can smell it when there's a lack of it, can't you? If people are just trying to put on a good show, you're just trying to say the right things, you're just trying to give the right impression, it smells a mile off, people see it, it has no power. But genuine authenticity 
shining with truth, integrity, and purity is a powerful, powerful thing. So as individuals, we need to be authentic, but we also need to be authentic in our relationships with other people. You need a few people in this church who know you, support you, and love you. They know your weaknesses, they know your gifts, and they can give you courage to keep going when you need it. A man is not designed to be an island, he's designed to live in community. And particularly a word for you men, you need to invest yourselves in forming a few godly relationships where you can be open and transparent. It will not happen in a few weeks. It probably won't happen in a few months. It is a year-in, year-out commitment where you risk enough to open yourself up in a way which means when people see you, they may not like you anymore. That's what it's about, being authentic. They get to know you enough that actually when they see what they see, they may not like you. Now, more than likely what will happen is they will look at you and say, do you know what? You're just like me. And you struggle here and I struggle there. And we're going to stand together and we're going to battle through together for the glory of God, for the good of the church, to make his name famous. You cannot be authentic if your only interaction with this family is on a Sunday night. It doesn't go deep enough. It takes more commitment than that. That's why we do community groups. It's why we started small groups. It's why we have serving teams. It's so you can interact at a smaller level. The fact you're in them doesn't necessarily mean you're stepping out in that anyway, but at least it's a forum where you can. I want to ask you, church, please do not leave it at this level. If, if you're starting here, that is great. You are so welcome. But over time, my ambition for you is that you genuinely get to know some people who know you, support you, love you, and bear with you, as you bear with them. It's how God designed church to work. Otherwise, you will get sick. Christian discipleship life is meant to be in community. In the whole authenticity, authentic point thingy. If you want to stand up, cool, what a good call that is, eh? If you don't stand up, please stand up now. Don't allow pride to stop you. For, so authenticity, to step into being, to living authentic lives. Shining for God in purity and committing to building relationships with one another that count, where people know us and we know them. Lord, I want to thank you that, Jesus, when you came down, you committed yourself to 12 men to do life deeply together. Right the way through the book of Acts, life was done deeply together. Father, I just want to pray your massive blessing on these guys as they stand up right now. I pray you'll give them grace.
that their outside world and their inside world match up. That their Sunday lives and their Wednesday lives match up. I want to ask you, Lord God, that you give them the courage and the boldness to step out and be authentic with other people in a way that honours you, that they would find strength, community, friendship, at a genuine reason, in a genuine way. Thank you for their boldness and their courage in this. I pray would you mightily bless them in it. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Excellent. And then lastly, I think that's, this is lastly, just to check through, disciples are, no, it's not lastly, disciples are authentic, disciples are joyful, disciples are courageous. I'm going to do the last two really quickly. Disciples are honouring. As men and women who follow Jesus, it's so important that we place value where God places value. It's all about that. It's giving value to what God values. It says in Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God, God created human beings in his likeness. What immense privilege. It says in Psalm 8 verse 5, Yet you have made him, that's men and women, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. Each human life is a masterpiece of unique and irreplaceable value. Our dignity and significance comes from our God-likeness and not our abilities. And yet for so many, and me included, I so often look at people and make judgments by what they wear, how they speak, what accent they have, Are they educated? Do they have money? God has made men and women in his image. He has honoured them. He has given them a place of honour. And as a church, if we're to become all that God has for us, if we're to reach out to the full extent of our dear, dear town and communities around, we need to have, be men and women with arms wide open, hearts open, willing to accept people from all different backgrounds. A church that accepts people even when they get things wrong. A church that accepts people even when they say the wrong thing. Even when they mess stuff up. It's not on the basis of what we can do that we are honoured. It's not on the basis of whether I can preach well, or whether I can lead the church well, or whether I can be successful in it. It's because I'm created in the image of God. I've been crowned with glory and honour. I'm a son. That's where my security, my significance comes from. And the same is for you. I want to challenge you. I don't feel I've done a good job on this point. I think we are... We sort of know the buzzword, we sort of understand the concept, I just don't think we put it into practice very well. We so often lead with criticism and groaning and complaining in situations rather than encouraging 
and praising and honouring. We often do, don't we? It's built in to our culture. It's built in how we do. We make instant judgment calls. Just watch the news. Just watch the news. If you, you think, no, I've got honour nailed, just watch the news. And do an, do, an, do an audit on your heart as stuff comes up as to what you think about the people on there. And how you make judgments on whether they were right or whether they were wrong, whether this should have happened or that shouldn't. Hastings, Rye, Bexhill needs a church that loves people as they are, not as they should be. Lead with honour rather than criticism. If you want to respond to that, why don't you just quickly stand? Father, please forgive us, Lord, that we have not changed in this area as much as we could have done. It's an area of our life that we have not put as much work into. Self-control. Controlling the tongue. Guarding the heart. Demolishing strongholds as we should have done. Please would you forgive us, Father. And I ask you right now, would you identify areas in our lives where we are critical, where we moan and where we groan, please would you identify those areas, identify people to us that we look down on because they're different or have different perspectives. By the way, honour is seen in difference, not in uniformity. Honour is seen in conflict and not in agreement. Lord, I ask you, would you help us to honour those who are different to us? Would we do it in a way that shines so bright that we would shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of truth? Fill us afresh of your Holy Spirit. Give us grace for the fight we ask. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Lastly, disciples are generous. Living lives that overflow with generosity to other people, which is kindness, time, emotion, possessions, and energy. The reason we live generous lives is because we have an incredibly generous God who has been so generous to us. How can we do anything but allow that to overflow to people around us? He's lavished grace on us. Let's be generous. What does generosity look for you with your family? What does generosity look for you in your workplace? Sometimes I think we're better at thinking of massive, big, sacrificial things when actually the most sacrificial thing we can do is a normal, everyday thing that maybe takes five or ten minutes but makes a real difference to someone else's life. When I was on a, a year's training um, many years ago in India, um, um, making a cup of tea was a real faff. Just a real faff. Had to boil the water and boil the milk and do all of this stuff. It's just a real pain. It took ages. And I felt that I did it so much more than everyone else. But I felt just one of the ways I could express generosity and love to other people I was living with was that every time I made a cup of tea, I offered everyone else in the house a cup of tea. 
And if any of them said yes, I gave them the biggest cup. There was only one big cup. All the others were really little, annoying little cups. You know, one gulp, it's gone. It really, anyway. You can pray for my healing later. But just for me, for, for an expression of generosity was to offer to make someone a cup of tea whenever I was having it to give them the best cup and to serve in that way. For some of you, the way you're going to change your work environment is by loads of little expressions of kindness and generosity that don't cost you actually very much in one way other than pride and other than you're just giving yourself away again and again and again. For some of you, you need to do that in your family. For some of you, you need to do it with your children. I'm learning whole new levels of generosity in my home at the moment. Just God dealing with me. It's, it's not something wonderful in me. It's actually that it's not very wonderful in here. And God's provoking me to go and go again. Lord, I just want to ask right now, because you've all stood up loads. Lord, I just want to ask for every single one of us here that we would grow as a people of generosity. I pray generosity will be a hallmark of who we are. And it will be for your glory and your praise as we step out time after time after time. I pray that you would give us creativity in it as well. Lord, that we can express it in different ways to those around us and demonstrate something of your love and generosity in different ways, I pray. Amen. Why don't we all stand on our feet as we close? I've listed out five characteristics that I want to grow in as an individual. I have not arrived. But as a church, we want you to grow in as well. We want to pursue these things over the coming season. That we would be a generous church with our time, our money, our emotion, our energy, our serving that we would be authentic, real relationships. The fact we are growing bigger numerically does not mean we cannot have real relationships together. It just looks a bit different, takes a bit more work. We want to be a people that honour, that lead with honour rather than criticism. A people that are overflowing with joy. A people that know how to step out in courage. Why don't we just raise our hands? Jesus, I want to thank you. You exhibited all of these qualities while walking around on earth. I thank you, Lord, they're in abundance in the early church. Lord, my ambition is as a church we would grow in these areas as well. What do disciples of Jesus look like? Well, they look just a bit like some of those things. I want to pray, Lord, if there's people who didn't stand up but they know they should have done well, they're standing up now and I pray will you add it to their account anyway if for one reason or another they didn't go for it, I pray you bless them anyway bless them right now fill them afresh of your spirit speak to them into their hearts directly release them if they need to to go again and give them opportunities to bring glory to your name this week I ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. And we all said together, Amen. Amen. We're going to finish it up there. The bar is now open if this is your first Sunday. 
Um, we would love to get you a drink, so just head over to the bar. Um, one of the stewards.